Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Man, I love that uh, second verse. I love that song, but I love the second verse there. Jesus to Calvary did go. His love for mankind to show what he did there brought hope from despair. Oh, how he loves you and me. Thank y'all for entering into Worship Day Choir. Thank you so much for that song. I know y'all have been battling the last few weeks in the, in the sauna that y'all have been uh, 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 practicing in. We've had some air conditioner difficulties upstairs, and so the choir's been bouncing around for the last uh, several Wednesday nights f- trying to find a cool place to practice. But apparently y'all found a spot, so y'all sounded good today. That was, that was very good. Thank you so much. Great day for us to be together. We continue in this sermon series on uh, the Ten Commandments entitled Laying Down the Law. Uh, we've been in it nine weeks because we're at commandment number nine today, and Lord willing, we'll have one more next week. Um, so we'll take a look at that in just a moment. I read a story of a couple of hunters that chartered an airplane and flew off into the Canadian wilderness for a, a moose hunting trip. And uh, two weeks later, the pilot came to pick them up, and uh, the pilot saw two animals laying there that had been bagged to moose mooses i guess that's correct is that is that the moosen moose but anyway uh the two mooses that were laying there that had been uh taken and so when he landed he looked at the hunters he said i told you fellows that i could only take you two and one moose so you'll have to leave the other moose behind one of the hunters spoke up and said, but we did it last year in a plane this size. He protested and said, we did it last year in a plane this size, and the other pilot let us take two moose home with us. And so the pilot said, well, okay, if you did it before, I guess we can do it again this year. So they loaded up the two moose. They, the two hunters uh, got in the plane, and they loaded in. The plane took off, but because of the heavy weight, uh, it, it rose. The plane got off the ground a little bit. And uh, it was unable, though, to clear a, a hill that they were headed toward, and so the plane crashed. And the men climbed out, and they were looking around trying to figure out what had happened. And one of the hunters said to the other hunters, said, where are we? Where, where are we anyway? And the other guy said to him, well, I think we got about a half mile farther than we got last year. So uh, <laughs> they told the truth. They just didn't tell the whole truth, and uh, that's what we're talking about today. Uh, Mark Twain said one time, a lie races around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. You know, we we need to remember how important it is that we tell the truth. Uh, Mom and Daddy taught my two brothers and me a long time ago the importance of telling the truth, and they, you know that it's the truth. You've told your kids this, I'm sure, and your grandkids maybe. And, uh, but you tell one lie, you've got to tell another lie to get out of that lie, and then you've got to tell another lie to get out of that lie, of the first lie that you got out, and it just becomes a vicious cycle that uh, never, never ends well, and it shouldn't have been started in the first place because truth is so, so important. And the ninth commandment that we're considering today commands us to be people of the truth, to be people of truth. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. If you need to take your Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20, and we're in verse 16 today, that ninth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. I ask you to stand, please, and let's read this commandment together. Exodus 
The ninth commandment says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. May God bless the reading of this, his commandment today. Let's pray together. We ask you now, Lord, by the power of your spirit to teach us, to help us to understand what this means in its original context and to understand what it means for our lives today, Lord. We trust your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to help us to understand, and then also, Lord, to help us to obey and do whatever we need to do today before this worship service is over. You have given us this service today to hear your word and to respond to the truth of your word. So help us to do that as your spirit moves and works and leads us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So we th we're talking about uh, the truth today as we continue in this sermon series today. There are 23 marble relief portraits in the U.S. House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. 23 relief marble portraits, uh, marble relief portraits, and they depict some of the historical figures throughout the years that have helped, that, that helped work to establish uh, those principles that form the foundation for American law. So those 23 portraits around the House of Representatives represent people that are government leaders, some, some philosophers from years and years ago, some are religious leaders, some of the great thinkers of days gone by, people like Thomas Jefferson, uh, George Mason, Hammurabi, uh, several others just to name a few, but, but these, some of these great thinkers were the people that their decisions and their thinking and their principles helped form the laws that we have in our nation today. So there's 23 of those, uh, but the one right in the middle, there's one right in the middle, and it's of this. Do we have the picture back there? Do y'all have a picture of that? There it is. Right in the middle is this, this one. And all of the others are looking toward this portrait, the portrait of Moses. In our House of Representatives, Moses is the primary person that all the other 22 philosophers and thinkers and leaders and political leaders and government leaders from all of the years gone by, all the other 22 are turned and looking toward Moses. Because we know and understand that uh, that. The Ten Commandments and the, the Judeo-Christian laws are the ones that form the significant portion of the foundation of the laws for our nation. There was one writer that said this, said, Few people, if any, would dispute that the Ten Commandments and its parallels from other ancient cultures, as well as, as, well as other directives contained in the Pentateuch of the Hebrew and Christian scriptures, inform our notions of right and wrong, and as such have influenced the development of Western law of which the American legal system is part. That's a whole lot of words to say that the Ten Commandments form the basis of the laws that we have in our land. That's why it's so important. That's one of the reasons why it's so important that we understand that these commandments for our lives, but they inform our entire uh, legal system. These laws do that. 
Supreme Court Justice William Rehnquist from several years ago said this. He said the Ten Commandments have had a significant impact on the development of the secular legal codes of the Western world. These commandments are so important. They inform our lives individually, and certainly that's kind of what we've been uh, focusing on over the last nine weeks and how these, and we'll do that again today, how these laws, how these commandments speak to us today in response to those in our world today, even religious leaders, uh, Christian leaders that would say, you don't need to obey the Ten Commandments anymore. You don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments anymore. And I adamantly disagree with that because these form the foundation of our lives and how we are supposed to live our lives to please the Lord. No, we don't keep the Ten Commandments in order to be saved. I don't care if you kept nine out of the ten, you're still going to hell. But you've broken all of them just like I have. You can't keep the Ten Commandments in order to be saved. We have to have Jesus in order to be saved. But these commandments, once you are saved, once you come to faith in Christ, then the direction and the condition of our life must be the direction of obedience. And that means obeying these commandments and the commandments that the Lord gives us in his word. So important that we understand why these Ten Commandments are so important for our individual lives, but for our entire society's life. One of the reasons why we're in such trouble today is because we're throwing these away in every way that we possibly can. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So when you look at this one that we're looking at today, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The original context of this commandment is in the legal world. It is a, a legal term. The, a literal translation of this commandment would be, you shall not answer against your neighbor as a lying witness, as in a court of law, that you would get on the stand and lie, that you would be uh, called as a witness for something and you would lie against your neighbor and so that's what the original context of this commandment is it's in the legal world uh, the, uh, another translation of this commandment says never lie when you testify about your neighbor another translation says you must not tell lies about your neighbor in court and so that's why witnesses when they're called to testify in court today are, are required, well, they're not, nowadays they're not required, but it's suggested that they place their hand on a Bible and then say that they will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help them God. Uh, truth of the matter is, today, in today's world, they don't have to put their hand on the Bible anymore. They can choose whatever the kind of book they want to put their hand on, and that's, again, a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day, but, but that's why you're still called to say, I will tell the truth, I will tell the whole truth. I will tell nothing but the truth as I testify in court today. And so we know and we can see that this commandment speaks to our legal system, but we also know, as we'll talk about now, that it applies to our personal lives. Certainly this commandment applies to our personal lives and the truthfulness of our words and our lives. There's anybody in the world that ought to be people that, whose lives scream truth. It's people of God, the Christ followers. Our lives ought to say every way possible that we stand for the truth. We're going to speak the truth. We're going to live the truth 
to the very best of our abilities, knowing that no one can do it perfectly, but we're going to do everything that we can to be people of truth. And Because the Bible is so clear that, uh, obviously in this commandment, but there's so many other verses that talk about lying and the despicable nature of not telling the truth. Now, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 5, and there's a bunch in Proverbs. There's a bunch of them that I could have read today, but I pulled this one out. Proverbs 14, verse 5, that says, A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. You're just not going to be a person that consistently lies. Lying is not going to be a, a, a part of your lifestyle. The ninth commandment is a commandment that reminds us that integrity should mark the life of every Christ follower. We ought to just be people of integrity, people whose lives are lives of truth. Shakespeare once said, Lord, Lord, how this world is given to lying. And it's so true. We see it all around us. Lying started in the Garden of Eden. I mean, it right off the bat, Satan shows up, the serpent shows up, and he begins lying as soon as he shows up. And he says to Eve there in the garden, you shall not surely die. Well, yeah, you will. And yes, we do now as a result of the fall. Right off the bat, lying started in the Garden of Eden from the one who Jesus said in John eight forty four that Satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. When you and I lie or fib or tell an untruth, however you want to couch it, we're speaking the language of Satan. I don't think that's good, do you? Certainly shouldn't be coming out of our mouths. Proverbs twelve twenty two: the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. Do you want to be a person who the Lord Detest the things that come out of your mouth, or do you want to be a person that the Lord delights in you and what comes out of your mouth and in your lifestyle? And then you move over to the New Testament. Again, looking at New Testament teaching, Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, just simply says, don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. That's the message translation of Colossians 3, 9. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. Lying is a part of our old nature. Lying is a part of our sinful nature. So don't be lying to each other because you, if you do that, you're going back and, and getting back into that old nature. You don't need to do that. We're done with that old life. So the application for this message today is, is that as Christ followers, the focus of our lives must be on truth. As Christ followers, the focus of our lives must be on truth. I think there's three ways that we can make sure that the focus of our lives is on truth. And first of all, we need to lift up the truth of God's Word. We need to lift up the truth of God's Word. I know I don't have to tell you this, but I'll talk about it for just a minute, that it's pretty clear, I think, to anybody 
especially us as Christ followers, that truth is under attack in our world today. Amen? It is. Now, look, I'm not talking about which political party is telling the truth. I'm not, I'm not, that's not where I'm going here. I'm not talking about which, which news network is, is spinning the truth more, more than the other news network. That's not, not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about that type of stuff. I'm talking about the fact that the unalterable, definitive, absolute truth of God's Word is under attack. That's what's under attack in our world today. That's why you've got every imaginable thing happening in every sector of our society now. Things that, uh, I'm 58, there's a bunch of y'all in here that are older than that, a bunch of you that are younger than that, but I'm telling you, as a 58-year-old man, there are things being said and things being done now in public and in an unashamed, un, un, unabashed kind of way uh, that I would never have dreamed I've seen in my that I would see in my life, because the truth is under attack. If you don't stand, if there's no, if you have no basis of truth, if you have no unchanging basis of truth, then you can live your life any way you want to do, any way you want to live it. You can, you can change the definition of marriage. You can change the definition of gender. You can change anything. You can kill babies. You can kill. You can do whatever you want to do. You can parade without any clothes on in the, down the middle of the streets, and nobody's going to do anything about that. You can do whatever you want to do when you have no basis for truth. And that's what we're seeing in our world today. And that's why we, as Christ followers, must lift up the truth of God's Word. We have to lift it up. I want to give you a word here, an important word for today. And some of you know this word. It's the word veracity. Veracity. The veracity of God's word. It's not a word that I use a lot, but it's an important word. And that word means honesty. It means integrity. It means credibility. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about God's word. We're talking about the, the honesty, the integrity, and the credibility of the Word of God, and Christians must uphold the veracity of God's Word, the integrity of God's Word, that it is not going to change. It has not changed, and it will not change. You can't change what the Word of God says. You just can't do it, and so we have to hold it up. Because Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, 14, he said, Truth has fallen in the street. Another translation says, Truth has fallen in the public square. I think we would agree that we're seeing that in our world today, that truth has fallen in the public square. It has. We see that, we see that truth everywhere as the truth is replaced by rhetoric, replaced by empty talk, replaced by propaganda and spin and just outright wicked lies. So, if we don't uphold the truth of the Word of God, nobody else is. The government is not given that task of upholding the truth of the Word of God. We're given that task as Christ followers. As the church, capital C, we are given the task of upholding the truth of the Word of God. And the reason that I believe that the truth has fallen in the public square, that the truth is under attack, that the truth has fallen in the street. 
One of the reasons I believe this is true is because of the expansive level of biblical illiteracy and timidity among Christians. Let me say that again. The reason that the truth has fallen in the street is because of the expansive level of biblical illiteracy and timidity among Christians. I'll tell you what I mean by that. We say, I guarantee you, if I wanted to get a big old amen today, I, can, I let's, let's try it. This is the truth from cover to cover. Amen? All right, see, you say you believe it. We say we believe that. We say that this is the truth from cover to cover. You know, from, from Genesis 1-1 all the way through the maps is what we say sometimes. And that's the truth. We say that we believe the Bible from cover to cover. But many of us have never even read it cover to cover. We say we believe it, but we had not even read it cover to cover. And we have our favorite verses. And there's nothing wrong with that. I got my favorite verse, Romans 8, 28. You've got your favorite verse. Maybe it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Maybe it's uh, Philippians 4, 19. Maybe whatever. You've got your favorite verse. We've got those favorite verses, and we post them on our social media pages, and we put them in a frame and put it on our wall, or we have it beside our beds, uh, our nightstand, and things like that. And we, we, we have those verses. But when we are faced as we are now, with a withering onslaught of attacks on the truth of the Word of God, that's when we as Christians shrink back and shut up and shut down. Because we just don't know it. We don't know it. We say we believe it, but we don't know it. We're, we're afraid. That's, what, that's that word timidity that I mentioned. We're afraid when it comes to the attacks on the word. We're afraid that we won't know the answers. I mean, John, there's so much in there that I don't understand. And it's just so hard to read it all the way through and stuff like that. It's just, it takes so much time and things like that. And, and then was, I'm just, I'm afraid I won't know all the answers. Guess what? You won't know all the answers. But step up anyway. You won't know all the answers. You can go to seminary and have two degrees, advanced degrees from seminary, and you're still not going to know all the answers. But you better step up anyway, church. We better step up. We're, we're afraid. We're afraid we won't know the answers. We're, we're afraid that we're going to be ridiculed. Well, guess what? You will be ridiculed. In fact, you're already being ridiculed. People everywhere, you can just see it. If you dare to step up as an evangelical Christian who loves the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and step into the public arena, you're going to get ridiculed right off the bat. But step up anyway, church. We're afraid. We're afraid that we won't know the answers. We're afraid that we're going to get ridiculed. We're afraid of the consequences that we might suffer. Well, guess what? Guess what? The consequences are going to happen. We are going to suffer. Do you understand that we are going to suffer? 
There is nothing in this word, if you would read it from cover to cover, that promises you that you are not going to suffer, that promises you that you're not going to be persecuted. In fact, what it tells us, it says, get ready to suffer. Get ready to be persecuted. I was listening to John Piper this week talking about this, and Piper talked about how do we go from having 12 followers of Jesus to 2 billion, 1.67 billion followers of Jesus in our world. How do we go from, from 12 to 1.6, 1.7 billion followers of Jesus today? You know how we got there? We got there by suffering. We got there by suffering. Because there were people that were willing to lay their life down because they believed this. And they lifted it up, and when they lifted it up, they paid a dear, dear price. But they knew that their suffering was preparing them for something so much better. We're afraid. Charles Spurgeon said, Scripture is like a lion. Whoever heard of defending a lion, just turn it loose and it will defend itself. So how do we turn it loose? How do we turn loose the Word of God? Let's just get real, real practical about it right now. How do you and I, as Christ followers, the church, how do we turn loose the truth of the Word of God? Well, you grow in knowing it more and more and more and more. You grow in knowing it more and more and more, and then you live it out in your life more and more and more. It's as simple, but as serious as that. I got to thinking about this. You know, we know so much about so many things. Man, I tell you, across this room right now, just scanning across this room right now, the knowledge of how to do things in this room it's just off the charts. I mean, we know how to do so much, and how, we know so much about so many things. We know how to play sports of all kinds. Uh, we, we, know how to, uh, we know how to hunt every kind of animal. We know how to fish for every kind of fish. We know how to cook, and we, we're a grill master, and we know how to grill, and we know, how, we know how to build houses. We know how to build businesses. We know how to build farms. We, we know how to sell things. We can sell insurance. We can sell pharmaceuticals. We can sell uh, farming supplies. We can sell hardware. We can sell anything. We know how to do that. We know how to, some of y'all know how to do medical procedures, and you're an expert in your medical field we, we uh, some of you can play musical instruments just you know how to do that and we know so many things we know about so many things just astounding and then you think about this think about all we have had to study for throughout our life I'm not talking about just when you're back in school. Certainly had to study back in school for our grades and things like that. But just think about this. We, so many of you have had to study in order to pass a test to be able to be in the career that you're in now. And you've got to study because you've got another test coming up that's going to make sure that you still know what you're doing. And so you've got to dig in and start studying again so that you can make sure that you still got the ability to make money to provide for your family so you can stay in your career field. We have to study for so many things. 
We, have to, we had to study to graduate from school, had to study to graduate from seminary twice, had to study to be able to know those things. We, sometimes we have to study in order to get licensed in our field of work. I've seen, I think this past week there was a big uh, uh, nursing uh, school graduation. Now they're all talking about now they've got to go take their, their nursing exam so they can get licensed and things like the friends of mine that passed and for church members and things like that that got through nursing school. Now they've got to go take that big test to get licensed, all that kind of stuff. We, we, man, we, some of you athletes, former athletes, you had to study to, to know those plays and to know or the coach was going to uh, make you run laps because you didn't know the plays. And we studied to know. But why is it that when it comes to the Word of God, we study so little and we know so little? God help us. Because it is time for every, not just the guy that stands behind the pulpit that gets paid to study the Word of God, <laughs> But it's time for every Christ follower to make or renew your commitment to study the Word of God so that we can lift it up against the attacks of the enemy in our world today. Master this book and let this book master you. Don't give the excuses. Just say, you know, it's just so much. I don't, I don't understand all that Old Testament stuff. I don't understand all that stuff in Revelation. I don't understand. Guess what? There's a whole lot of stuff in there I don't understand. The problem is this, we're not doing the stuff that we do understand. So lift up the truth of God's Word. We're going to be people of truth, and we're commanded to be people of truth. We better lift up the truth of God's Word. i got a couple more I want to give you quickly before we come to the Lord's table. Secondly, listen to the truth of God's Word. You lift it up, but then you listen to the truth of God's Word. I am unashamedly challenging you, unashamedly challenging you to step forward and to step up your commitment to hear the Word of God when it is preached from this pulpit. Like it or not, I'm your pastor. I'm the guy that at this point in the life of this church has been called to do this Sunday after Sunday. And I love doing it, and it scares me to death. And as long as I'm preaching the truth of God's Word, and if I'm not, then you have a right and responsibility to call me out on that. But if I'm preaching the truth of God's Word, then you have a commitment. You must make a commitment. Whether you like the way I'm dressed, whether you like the way I wear my hair, whether you like the way that I've, the fact that I've got a beard and you don't think a preacher ought to have a beard, or you'd rather I didn't wear a coat and tie and, you know, dress with blue jeans or whatever. I don't care about all that junk. But if I'm preaching the truth of the Word of God, then you have a responsibility as a child of God to be in this place to hear and to listen to the truth of God's Word. And I'm, that, uh, I, I, I hesitate to say that because I don't want it to sound like I'm talking about me. It's this that makes a difference. You got to hear it when it's being preached and when it's being taught. It's very clear in this wonderful book 
that the preaching and teaching of the unchanging, life-changing truths of the Bible must have a place of priority in a true evangelical New Testament church, and that is what we are. Paul made it very clear in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, verse 11 and 12. He said, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostle, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. And our job, our responsibility, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. It is my job from the Word of God, my calling from the Word of God, to stand in this place and to preach this so that you will be equipped to be the church and to be the child of God that you're called to be. Let me see what time it is. Okay. Listen to the truth of God. Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8, Old Testament. Listen to this real quick. This is after they rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. Nehemiah and Ezra came, and Ezra chapter 8, so they gathered all the people. I preached this almost a year ago, July the 12th of 20. Preached it here. The power of the Word of God was the title of the message that day. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law, their Bible, the book of the law of Moses, that's the Ten Commandments and others, uh, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they said on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And all and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra stood on a wooden platform that they made for the purpose, and beside him stood all of the Levites. I'm not going to do all their names. Verse 5 says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. See, the New Testament says you can say Amen in church. The Old Testament says that. Lifting up their hands, say you can do that in church too. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord, and you can do that too with their face to the ground. And so then the Levites went out and they helped the people to understand the law while the people stayed in their place and they read from the book of the law, from the law of God, and then they gave the sense, they explained it to the people. So in the Old Testament, they were doing the same thing. You've got to listen to the truth of God's word. And the last point is this, the, the hearing must be followed by living. You've got to live out the truth of God's word. You've got to live it out. James 1.22, you know this verse. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's not enough to come and to listen to me preach or somebody preach or Bill Elliff preach or your life group leader uh, teaching or whoever your favorite, David Jeremiah and all the folks that you like to listen to. It's not enough just to listen to those people if you're not living it out. The Word of God says don't be just a hearer, be a doer. Don't just listen to God's Word. Do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. If we're going to be people of the truth who speak the truth, then our lives must match our words. So the word of God, you got to hold it up, you got to take it in, you got to live it out. I heard somebody say one time that this book will keep you from sin, or this, or this book, or sin will keep you from this book. So live it out. Talked a lot about lying today, and here's one of the greatest lies is told. 
One of the greatest lies that's told is this one. You've gone too far. You're too sinful. You've been away too long. It's too late. That lie, those lies, come straight from the one who is the father of lies, our enemy. Try to keep you from making the commitment that you need to make today. Somebody today needs to be saved today, but you're thinking, man, I've... It's been too long. It's been too. I'm too old. I'm too. It's too. It's too. Uh, too much has happened. I, I'm too. I'm too sinful. I got too much junk in my life. It's the greatest lie that's ever been told. So dispel that lie today. Come to Jesus. Some of you have wandered away from him, and now you're thinking, "Man, I've been gone too long." Dispel that lie. Come back to him. Come to Jesus today. Before we come to the table, you need to come to Jesus. This table is for people that know Christ. If you don't know Christ, then I invite you today to come to Jesus and be saved. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and you can pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, if you need Christ, you call out to him now. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and I am lost without you. So I turn from my sins right now, and I turn to you, Jesus, and I ask you to save me help me to live for you from now on. In Jesus' name, amen.